Thank you for joining us for Dwelling Place Lithia Podcast. We hope this message will help you find your identity in Christ and create growth in your life. We hope you enjoy this message. I went on to YouTube and I checked out all these preachers that's preaching the same message. And it's the same title. The Cost of Being a Disciple. Every one of them has it on there. I mean, and I'm like, wow. And you take time and you read the scripture that I'm about to give you. It's Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bibles. And I read through it. And I said, I'm, this is the one that God wants me to do right now for our parable series. And it's like God says, okay, I'm going to put you through a test. I'm going to put you through some stuff. See where you're at. See how you feel. See what's going on. And sometimes that's the hardest thing is when God puts you through those things to see where you're at in life. So Luke 14 says this, Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begins to ridicule him, saying, This man began, a, began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a de delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless either for, for the soil or, or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Jesus likes to just smack people upside the head with words. To be my disciple, you've got to hate your mother and father. You've got to hate your, your wife or your, your husband. You've got to hate your brothers and sisters. That's what he's, it, it was saying, and I'm like, Lord, wait a minute. People are going to say you're, you're contradictive because before that you said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, love your neighbor as yourself. And 
And so he, he drew me to some scripture in Genesis about a man named Jacob. He fell in love with a woman he loved named Rachel. And so he goes to work for this man to have Rachel's hand in marriage. And after seven years of working, all of a sudden, a marriage happens, but it wasn't Rachel. It was Leah, the sister. And then he had to work another seven years to get the love of his life, the person that he loved so much. And there's a scripture that I found. And it says this. In Genesis chapter 29, verse 31, it says, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. If you look at the King James Version, it says, hated. And he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. She wasn't hated in the sense of being, I don't like you. Or when my kids get in fights sometime at the end of the fight, I hate you. No, you don't. You know you love them still. They're still there for you. But it was, it's not like that. It's less love. I've got less love for you for right now. And that's what Jesus is telling us. We've got to have less love for everybody else. But for him, more love. To follow him. To go after him more than ever before. I've always been impacted with my family, the people before me and the people who years and years who's followed Jesus for years. I'm always in awe because I see Jesus in every one of my family that I have that I've seen. My dad, he's had it rough sometimes. When your mother or her, his wife has Alzheimer's, it's, you know, you, you, you hate the disease. And you go after her passion and you love her. But when God says, less love, you don't know where to go with that sometimes. And that's why he's telling us if we're going to go after him and be a disciple, we've got to love the world less. And that's so hard right now, especially in America, because everything's at our fingertips. Everything's here. We have a phone. I'm not using a Bible, I'm using an iPad. But I got 10, 15 Bibles at my house. I can bring one and use it. 
It's like I'm loving the world for what the technology we have. The cars, everything, we ACs, every, you know, we're blessed here in America. But go to Africa. Go to China. I was reading a post on Facebook, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine who I, I worked with, says, pray for my daughter. She's heading back to Hong Kong. That's her passion, is ministering to people in Hong Kong. And what's going on over there is they're trying to cut off Christianity in Hong Kong. They're trying to say, you're not allowed to have the Bible anymore in Hong Kong. And she's standing up for it. And they said, but you can stay a little bit longer. No, Mom, I can't. I love you, but my passion's over there. Because God's called me for that. God's called us for this community. God's called us for the surrounding area. God's called us, and we've got a passion going after them. Matthew 25. And it's ironic because in, in ver the next verse, it says this. I, I, I want to read this again. Listen to this. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? And then it says, if you halfway build it, people's going to make fun of it. Correct? Why'd you halfway build it? Why couldn't you build it all the way? Didn't have enough money. Let me ask you something. Has anyone went on I-4? When you get to about Branch Forbes Road, you look at an arc on the side of the road. What's it for? Does anyone know? It was built. What was it built for? Does anyone know? Everybody goes, oh, it, I think it was for a restaurant. Oh, I think it was for this. Oh, I think it was for that. Well, doing a little research, they were wanting to open up a World War II memorial. Made it look like a boat. Why? Where I'm from, my hometown, there was a man who built a, a building. It looked weird. It had different size windows. Each one was completely different. It's like he went to the scrapyard and got every piece of scrap window he could that would fit, that's nice, he put it in. Then he'd have half the side bricked, other half not bricked, look like this, look like that, and it's like, okay, why is he building this building? And you hear, oh, he's fixing to open up a hardware store. Okay. He never opened it. It's still sitting there. Now it's got trees going, growing in the middle of the building. Nothing happened. And what I'm saying is this. Whatever God puts in our hearts, whatever, when he says, be my disciple, it's going to cost you. When you build it, you need to be prepared. You need to know what the cost is. You need to know where you're going. You need to know what direction it's going to go. 
I'm taking you here. I'm making you do 25. Matthew 25. Feed the homeless. Clothe them. Help them. Help the ones that are sick. Help the ones that are going through drug and alcohol. Help them. Now, what's it going to cost? We could look up here and go, I don't know. But that's not us. We're preparing our way. But when God calls you to do something, you need to know the cost. I want to go back to verse 27. It says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. How many of you got burdens? How many of you got trials, tribulations, things that's going on in your life and you're like, oh, how am I going to make it? What am I going to do? How am I going to pay the next bill? How am I going to do this? Sometimes I feel like that's what we say is our cross. But what, when God says, are you willing to die for me? That's tough. I'm in a fraternity, and one of the things that we do is we carry a cross. We build a cross. We, we take it up a mountain. We don't, we don't put no one on the cross. I, I promise you that. But what we do is we tell people, what are the burdens that you have? What are the hurts that you have? What are the things? We want you to nail that stuff to the cross. And we think that's... That's good and all. But then when Jesus says, are you willing to pay the price? Look at Paul when he goes to prison. And some of the scriptures that he had, I counted all joy. And he's in the middle of the prison. I counted all joy. Wait a minute. What do you mean you counted all joy? When Paul and Silas were in the middle of a prison and they were chained up against the wall and they're praising God and they're worshiping God, they're singing to God. Would we be doing that or would we be going, oh, woe is me, I'm chained against this wall. Why did you put me here, God? Paul and Silas didn't. They praised God through every situation they went through. I counted all joy, all my burdens. I counted all joy when something happens bad. But that moment that they pray God and worship God, an earthquake happened. And they were able to go out of the jail. They could have ran away. They could have ran off. But something stopped them. And we know it was God, the Holy Spirit. Because the jailer said, if you wasn't there, I was going to commit suicide. I was going to kill myself. No, we're still here. We want to make a point. God is bigger than everything else. But here in America, I'm just going to say, we're blessed. 
And we don't, know, we don't understand that concept at this moment in time. We don't understand how to be a martyr. We don't understand those situations because we're not at that breaking point. Is it coming? Yes. Is it going to get here? Yes. When? I don't know. Could it be next year? Could it be five years from now? Yes, it could be. Or it could be later. I don't know. And then it said, there's a king. He has commanders. They sit down and they talk and they say, do we have enough men, strong, mighty men, to go against the other kingdom and fight? The funniest story is Gideon. Because God told him, get rid of those people. Through, he, had, he had thousands of people. And he was going to have to fight, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people. And God kept on telling him, no, get rid of those people. Nope, get rid of those people. Nope, get rid of those people. There, Gideon's down to 300 men to go against 20,000 Not well prepared, do you think, unless it's God. Unless God is saying, I'm here with you every step of the way. Now let's go during the middle of the night. Let's, let's walk. And while they're walking, while they're getting ready, while they're making no noises that they couldn't see, it sounded like thousands and thousands and thousands of men were coming to harm them. And they got up and ran away. That's what God does. But you have to be committed. When God says, hey, Anthony, I know you only got $100 left. Give it to that person over there. Well, God, how am I going to eat? Do you trust me? I'm learning these steps in my life right now. I've been a Christian all my life. And I go back to the stories my, my dad, my mom, my grandmother told me about my great-grandparents. I called him Papa Preston. He didn't worry about the power bill. It seemed like all the stories I heard. He didn't worry about where the next meal came from. Because he trusts so much in God. That there would be a basket of food when they come back from town once in a while. There's always something there. They depended on a community of believers. And everyone who stood up for Jesus. 
Because a lot of times the ones at that moment in time, if you were Pentecostal back in 1919, 1918 and all those times, you wasn't liked. They shunned you. They were hated. My papa was kicked out of a church because he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because he was going to a different denomination. And God wrecked his life. And because of that, he says, I've got to be a minister. I'm going to go tell the gospel. I'm going to walk the path that you want me to. I'm going to pastor five churches at one time. I'm going to do this for you, God. Where's the next meal coming from? I don't know. But God does. It's, for, it's easy for us because we can get credit. We can do this. We can run to McDonald's. But when the people who say, I'm desperate and I don't have it, what's next? They're at that point. What's the cost? He said, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possession. I'm not telling you to sell your possession. I'm not. I've, I've been listening to a man for the last four months. And he did. He gave everything away. He said, God, what do you want me to do? And when he did, God wanted him to be a mechanic for poor people. But he says, I'm going to walk in faith and believe. And because he did that, God just blessed him so many different ways. Sent money. He, he didn't know who was sending money, but people sent money to him and things like that. And he says, I don't have any possessions. I gave them all up. I don't need this iPad. I can give it up. I don't need, I just need Jesus. I don't know about you. But this last part of the scripture really hit me. It says salt is good. And for people who love to eat salt out of their hand, it is good. But even salt has become tasteless. With what will it be seasoned It seems like our salt doesn't become tasteless anymore. We've got all the preservatives. We've, we've refined it and refined it and refined it and refined it. But, but back in the biblical days, they had the salt to preserve the meat, to preserve the stuff that needed to be preserved. But it, they also used it in their manure and threw it in the manure so it would be rich enough to to grow things. But if you use way too much salt, it becomes a toxin and it can kill the plants that you're using. And I was thinking about could you be too salty? And 
sometimes God wants to take away some of the salt. So you're perfect to be that salt in the world. That you're not killing it. You're, you're helping it to grow. You're helping it to, to mend back. You're helping all these things. A question we're, what we're going to have at the table is, what does salt mean to you? And I want to tell you what salt means to me at this moment in time. It means a family that comes together that helps one another and helps this community and helps Plant City. To become a beautiful flower that needs to happen. We work too much. We complain too much. We, we're always too busy. And we're too busy for God sometimes. And we want to put Him in the back burner. But God says, hate you just need to not love so much to get to me, to find me, to worship me, to be who you need to be. You need to get to me. Quit loving your life the way you love it. Quit being too salty sometimes. I was watching a gentleman flavor some meat. I'm, I'm one of those... I only pour marinate on, on my steaks 30 minutes, an hour or so. But these guys will marinate their, their steaks for two days. They crush the salt, put it on, and the salt melts into the meat. And I was looking at that. And that's what God wants us to do in this world. Is to be crushed. To be part of the world but when it's crushed then we're inside the world now we're breaking it up and becoming softening to soften who they need to be that's what salt does it softens the hardened hearts it softens the meat to become tasteful and it's time that we become that salt that god wants us to be we hope you enjoyed this message. If so, please share it. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at dwellingplacelithia.org forward slash donate. We'll see you next week, and may God bless you and your family.